0: Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose driven, impact filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today on the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast my friend and mastermind brother, Dr. Omar Hamada. Omar Hamada is an accomplished physician with a master's in business administration, as well as a master's of theological studies and many more impressive credentials, too numerous to mention at this time. He's also a decorated veteran, former lieutenant colonel in the United States Army Special Forces where he served as a flight surgeon and diving medical officer. And he is an accomplished physician and business executive slash entrepreneur living in Franklin, Tennessee. Dr. Hamada is currently an emergency medicine physician and OBGYN and has a highly successful private concierge practice for high-level executives and celebrities focusing on disease reversal, longevity, and human performance, utilizing cutting-edge technologies, alternative regenerative approaches, and biohacking. Look forward to hearing more about that. Dr. Hamada has held leadership positions in several Fortune 100 companies and is in demand as an award-winning speaker and is a regular contributor to Fox News, Laura Ingram, Newsmax, America's Voice Live, Suckalo Live, huckabee love huckabee epic times focus on the family moody radio and many others on geopolitical medical health social and business topics hamada's driving passion of representing christ and advancing his kingdom in all he does reflects the special forces motto quote to liberate the oppressed end quote and quote to win hearts and minds end quote i love that through relationship mentoring, serving the less fortunate, living by example, writing, and speaking. Dr. Hamada is a classically trained spinto tenor, trained in New York and Vienna in the style of Mario Lanza, and plays classical and, as if that's not enough, jazz trumpet. He is multilingual. He enjoys worldwide travel and is an aspiring author and adores his four children, Wow, I can't wait to hear more about this. Dr. Omar, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast.
1: Thanks, Alan. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you here. And you know, I've shared just a brief intro with our audience. I know there's a whole lot more that could be said, but if you would start us off by just sharing the 30,000 foot view of your life and kind of how you came to be who you are and where you are today, if you could.
1: That's really hard because there is a lot in there, but to sum it all up, I'm a first generation American born in Tallahassee, Florida, Seminole fan. Dad was there for his PhD, master's and PhD in music. Started the fencing club he did back in the 60s there at FSU. But he and mom were Lebanese immigrants, and they were from the Druze people, D-R-U-Z-E. And the Druze are about a million strong worldwide. Uh, It's more of a secretive religion that started probably a thousand years ago. So they were probably the first two known converts. In fact, Patrick Johnstone, in his book, Operation World, back in the 1980s, listed two known Druze converts, and I believe they were my mom and dad at the time. And now there are hundreds that have actually come to Christ through various channels. And there's a lot there, but someday we can dig into it. And then we went back to Beirut when I was younger. My little sister was born there, and then back to the U.S., New York, California, Tennessee, seminary in South Carolina, and all sorts of other stuff. So... Yeah, I think as long as I can remember, I've wanted to sort of do everything and be everything, like all of us, you know, little boys back in the '70s and '80s, you know, Superman and FBI agent, astronaut. I mean, you name it. My granddad was a physician, um, so that was really the driving force. As I knew I was going towards medicine, but I was saved at a young age, and my heart was always for the kingdom. So whatever I did, that was sort of the foundation. Whatever I did, it was really for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. And it still is. And, you know, life has its ups and downs and twists and turns, but that's always been rock solid for me. So that's sort of where we are today. And, you know, it's like what Proverbs says, you know, that we basically plan our steps, but God directs our path. And I've thought I've planned my steps pretty perfectly throughout my life, but I can't tell you how many detours and crashes and (laughs) overturns and things like that I've been on or through.
0: I can imagine, and I look forward to getting into a little more of your story, but a couple of questions. You were a flight surgeon in the special forces of the U.S. Army. How long of a period was that, your military service?
1: So I was in the Army through the National Guard, activated a couple of times, but for 15 years, 10 of those were in the special forces. The first four or five were in a mass unit, and I didn't really like it as much. I mean, it was great to learn military bearing and uniform and all that stuff but after a while, it just didn't really fit me. For some reason, I didn't fit in with the other doctors. And so we were at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas doing combat casualty care course. And the guys running it with land navigation and rappelling and all that were special forces guys. And at the end of the two weeks, a couple of them came up to me and said, Hey doc, how do you like to go SF? And I said, man, I'd love to, what do I need to do? And they handed me a card and said, call this number. We'll see you in a couple of
0: months. And why is that? Why do you think that you didn't fit in with the other doctors so much? You know, it's weird. I've always sort of felt different
1: or been different. And the other docs, I think they were good docs, but I think they were there because they wanted to just be doctors and do what doctors do in the military. But I joined because of three reasons. One, I wanted a sense of adventure. Two, I wanted to serve my country. And three, I wanted some of the best leadership training in the world that I could get. I always thought if I just want to be a doctor I'll just be a doctor, no reason to join the army. I joined the army because I wanted to blow stuff up and jump out of planes. Right. So I didn't fit in with just sitting around drinking coffee, telling bad jokes. I wanted to get out there and do stuff. So I guess the SF guys, when they were running us through, they kind of saw that. And afterwards, they came up and said, Hey,
0: come join us. So I was like, cool. Yeah. You don't belong in the regular ranks. You need to be over here in the special forces. I get it. You've had a ton of success. And maybe that's partly uh, going back to the question I just asked. I mean, you're wired, obviously, not just to help people and serve people in a medical sense, but also you're very entrepreneurial. You've had a ton of success in your entrepreneurial endeavors as well as in the military. And like I mentioned to everybody, I mean, these are some pretty big deals to be a contributor on Fox News and Huckabee Show and all these different ones. That how did you get to that place? What was the pivotal moment or the opportunity, I guess, the door that opened to get you into those kind of situations to be speaking on national TV?
1: For that, it was nothing I did, surprisingly. I think it was all the Lord. I mean, I've always been comfortable in front of people speaking. And that's sort of my passion is, you know, changing hearts and minds, influencing people. And I've always been active regionally and locally on TV, radio, what have you, and then for CMDA with Moody and Focus. But as we'll get to here in a minute, my life kind of imploded a few years ago. I mean, in many areas. And I ended up having to have major surgery, basically to save my life. And as I was laying in bed, probably two or three days post-op, at the time, the New York governor Cuomo went on national television bragging about what they had just done in New York in terms of, he said, you know, we have the most aggressive abortion legislation in the history of the United States. And they basically opened the door wide for abortion at any time in pregnancy, even up to full term. And I tweeted out something and I, I was fairly prolific on Facebook, but didn't really tweet much. But for some reason, I was like, well, let me just cross tweet this and said something like, you know, I'm a board certified OBGYN. I've delivered over 2,500 babies. There's never a reason to abort a child in the second or third trimester of pregnancy. Abortion, no delivery. Yes. And I went to sleep, you know, I was just in bed with pain meds and, you know, just trying to get over my surgery. And I went to sleep. Next morning I woke up, my phone had blown up. And over the next two or three days between Facebook and Twitter, I got like over 10 million hits. Wow. I was like, 10 million? I mean, that's amazing. So within a couple of days, Fox News was calling. Actually, one of the producers messaged me on Instagram and said, hey, we'd like to talk to you. Can you call me back? And it just took off from there. And it just rolled, just one after the other.
0: Wow. So all over a statement regarding abortion, essentially, that you put on Twitter. Yep. Wow that is the lord giving you that opportunity no doubt and using a situation like that to give you a platform i guess several years ago at this point now right 2019 2019 yeah over the last four years wow that's phenomenal as i was starting to say you've had a ton of success and as i was sharing with you earlier before we started recording i mean just looking at some of your accomplishments and your achievements and really more specifically your talents and skills and ability and skill set i mean being classically trained as a spinto tenor and just all the things, you know, trumpet and all that. You're amazing, amazing man. I was saying I was a little envious of all your talents, but what would you say has been a key to your success to this point before we jump into some of the challenges and some of the other things?
1: You know, as I was thinking about that, I think it's perseverance. And my dad always told me that he said, you know, it's not the rabbit that wins the race. It's the turtle. And he always said, you're a rabbit. I'm a turtle. (laughs) And he was very successful. But that's always stuck with me. It's that methodical perseverance, despite failure, despite obstacles, just gutting it through and praying and letting the Lord lead. And it's the same thing in the army, right? In the special forces. That's what they look for, I think. It's guys who aren't going to be put off or urged to quit just because of temporary obstacles. They want guys who are going to have the mindset of, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to do it. Right. So I think that's it. Just that perseverance and faith in God that, you know, you give me a purpose, you give me a direction. I'm going to move forward. It's up to you to clear the way, but I'm going to keep going.
0: I love it. So important. Perseverance, consistency, not quitting could be said a lot of different ways, but you mentioned it. It's, it's a mindset. I've said so many times, you know, so many things are either won or lost in the six inches between our two ears and i think that's a great piece of advice that you just gave you know perseverance sticking with something so many people i see try different things and don't enjoy the success that they desire but they never tried it long enough to get good enough to have the success they enjoy and it all comes back to i think what you just said is perseverance consistency sticking with it Let's jump into the challenges. You know, what would you say has been one or more of the bigger challenges you faced in life? Obviously, you've had a ton of success, and I think it's encouraging to see how guys like you and others have faced challenges and more importantly, how you have worked through them. So that's kind of where I want to head at this point. But I was just curious, what would you say would be one of the bigger challenges in your life or more than one if there is more than
1: one? You know, I love the Tully podcast. I mean, life is hard right? And it's hard on all of us. I can't think of a single person that hasn't been touched by tragedy or difficulty, or whether it's with themselves or in their family or extended family and friends. You know, we're not going to get out of this life unscathed. And we're all surrounded by people who have a victim mentality, like, you know, poor me, and they just live a defeated life. I mean, it's all about mindset and where you feel the Lord has you. But I've been there too, you know, victimized and how did this happen to me? How did I end up here? There have been multiple times of failure. But like, remember Michael Jordan, you know, it's like, I forgot the statement, but he failed a lot. I mean, I think he was kicked off his high school basketball team. and
0: Yeah, he didn't make his varsity team.
1: Yeah. So, and there've been so many stories like that. I mean, David Goggin, sort of the same thing, you know, fat and slovenly and let him mount to anything. And now he's like, amazing. So I think it just takes that shift in mindset. There were three or four huge assaults on my heart. My parents' divorce, breaking up with a gal a day before a wedding back in 1990 that I'd met on the mission field, the issues at our local church in Brentwood, Tennessee, that for some reason just were the most painful that I'd experienced up to that point. Not personally, but just, you know, with the church itself. And then sort of, I think the biggest crowning moment was probably five years ago where my own marriage unfortunately ended in divorce. And that was after 23 years. But the strange thing is I knew it at year four. At year four, I knew we were headed in the bad direction, but I was young and I thought, I'll change her. I'll make it work. We'll gut it out. And through counseling and this and that, eventually I got to the point that it was just unsustainable. And I felt like, as a believer, I think that's one reason I hung in for so long is, you know, wanting to glorify the Lord and not wanting to end up in the same way there. And But I got to the point where I felt like if I don't get out, I'll be dead by the time I'm 55. And I really believed it for several years. And I remember going to bed at night every night for like five years, praying, Lord, I don't want to wake up in the morning. Just take me home. And I mean, just the agony. And finally, like after five years, I sort of woke up and thought, what am I doing? I mean, this isn't how God wants us to live. And, you know, I don't want to say he wants us to be happy and all that, because I think he wants us to be holy. He wants us to be happy too, but he wants us to be holy. But I felt like I couldn't make it physically. And two weeks after I filed, I ended up with a ruptured colon, a severe pelvic infection and abscess, severe sepsis, ended up in the ICU at Centennial. I was in the hospital for about six weeks, half a million bucks, six weeks, multiple surgeries. It almost killed me. And I think that was probably due to a combination of factors, but I think primarily just the internalized toxicity and agony over two decades of life that finally caught up with me. And I mean, I was healthy before that, no medications, physically active and strong and healthy. And I've gotten back to that now, but there was that, the divorce, and then the health issues, financially, a complete collapse, business the businesses just sort of imploded, COVID hit, why not have a perfect storm <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to take out the other business? So, you know, just recovering from all that. My dad used to tell me, and I never believed him, you'll have plenty of friends as long as you're successful, but fail one time and see what happens. They'll all disappear. And I never believed. It's just like, man, they're great friends. I mean, these are lifelong, they're my brothers. And within weeks, it's like everybody vanished. Wow. And the people that stood by me instead of, unfortunately, the people that stood by me instead of the Christians They were my friends who were atheists, who disagreed with me on everything. I mean, worldview differences, theological differences, they're the ones who were at my bedside, who were keeping me company, who were bringing me food. And it really shocked me and challenged a lot of my previous, not theological beliefs in Christ, but my beliefs about people and my interaction and relationships. And to this day, I mean, I think those are still affected, including family. So divorce is brutal and it's painful and it's destructive and that's why God hates it so much because it doesn't leave you unscathed I mean it destroys so I think that was probably the hardest most difficult and just mentally going to a place of darkness not wanting to live at one point even wanting to take my own life like you know I just I can't do this I mean I've lost everything but one thing I found and this you're going to love this Alan I was in the hospital the first week and I was lying in bed thinking, I'm not gonna make it through this. I'm probably gonna end up dying. And going to sleep one night, feeling that way, but feeling a lot of self-pity. What did I do to deserve this? I mean, I lived through you my whole life. I followed you talking to Christ. You know, is this how you treat your kids? Just going back to the verse, you know, if you being evil, know how to give your children good gifts, how much greater your father in heaven? I was like, this is a good gift, (laughs) really. And I think he let me wallow in self-pity for about 30 seconds. And then I felt like he spoke to me and said, suck it up. This is only going to be a few months. I want you to learn some lessons. I could have touched you so that your entire life was affected like Johnny Erickson Tata and like others. But this is just going to be a few months. But I want you to learn. And when I got to the very bottom of myself and had lost everything, family, friends, financial security, reputation, you name it you know what I found at the bottom of that? what did you find? I found freedom and peace. Freedom and peace. Because I felt like there's nothing anyone can use now to manipulate my desires and my interests. And I felt like now I'm really dangerous. Because now I can say what I want to say for the sake of the kingdom of Christ. I can do what I feel like he has me on earth to do without fear of losing because I've lost. Because as men, especially, I think most of us live in fear and hold back from our purpose because we're scared to lose. We're scared to lose love. We're scared to lose purpose. We're scared to lose respect. We're scared to lose money. We're scared to lose power and influence. And that fear paralyzes us. And I felt like I lost it all. And at the bottom, I found more strength like I've never had before, more peace and more purpose and more determination. Because I thought, okay, what else can they take from me? they can't take anything else from me. They've taken it all. All they can take is my life. So what? Right. So I think that was sort of the big pivot for me. And I have to keep reminding myself of that because as you start building back, those fears start creeping back in.
0: So at this point now, I mean, it hasn't been that many years, but as you look back, you would say you're glad you went through the challenge and what God taught you through the process and where he's brought you. How do you view all of that now in hindsight? That's a
1: great question. And I want to answer it like, yeah, I'm so glad I went through it. But honestly, no, I hated it. It was painful. And it still is. Would I rather have an intact family for my kids and me and my ex? Yeah. Would I rather have financial security and stability right now? Sure. But I think that will come back. Right. But am I glad that I was able to learn the lessons the Lord had to teach me through that pain? Yeah, sure I am. And I remember probably 15 years ago, I had a friend in church who had gotten breast cancer and just been through it, almost died. And I saw her in church one day after she'd been through a lot. And I said, I'm so sorry about what you've been through. And she said, Don't be sorry. I'm glad it happened because I never would have learned what I had to learn unless it did.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel that way. Same way.
0: Are you able to share just off the top of your head one of those lessons that you learned? Maybe you just pick one, something that. You learn that God taught you through the process that you are grateful for?
1: Yeah, sure. There are several. Don't put your faith in men, humans. Put it in the Lord, because we will fail one another. Right. Because ultimately, and I learned this in business school, I thought it was just a secularist teaching it, and I pushed it off at first, but he was right. We are all in our core being self-interested. And most people, unless they are really spirit-filled following Jesus, most people will act in their own self-interest to preserve their interests. And I never believed that because I'm so relational and what people thought about me was so important. But the Bible says it. Don't put your faith in men. Put your faith in the Lord. So that was one big thing. And the other thing that's sort of corollary, don't put your faith in stuff, material things. Don't put your faith in your health, in your stock portfolio. And your reputation because all that can be gone in an instant. Put your faith in the Lord. And that basically then forms our purpose. And I think so many of us as believers, you know, we're focused on, yeah, I follow Jesus, but how's my sock portfolio doing today? And there's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes our focus, that you know, my kids are going to go to Ivy's and I'm going to build great wealth and I'm going to be this and I'm going to do that. I mean, it's sort of like the parable where The Lord was saying the rich guy was just loading up his barns. And, you know, you don't even know, but tonight your soul is going to be required of you. So where is our purpose? Where is our focus? As followers of Jesus, it should only be on him. And fear not for tomorrow. Today has enough troubles. But if we really believe and have faith in him, he'll provide. And I'm not saying, you know, live unwisely. I'm saying prepare. Right. But our focus should be on him and the reason he has us here.
0: So good, such great advice. And, yeah, you're right. We all by nature, I think, look out for our own interests without a miracle of God, doing a work in our heart to care more about others than ourself. And I think that's why he said, not only do we need to love the Lord, our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but also to love our neighbor. How as ourself, because <laughs> we have no problem looking out for ourself. And so we need to be reminded of that. And I'm glad that you brought that out. I love that. If you could go back in time, you know, there's many things I'd love to tell my younger self now going through a lot of scars and bad choices and just life punching me in the face. But what is one piece of advice you'd like to be able to go back and give your younger self?
1: Listen to your father.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Proverbs.
1: Man, if I had listened to my dad, I think I would have avoided a lot of those landmines. And look out for the signs. Pay attention to the street signs. A lot of times we run right through them, we ignore them, we think, oh, we can overcome that. When they said that, they didn't mean what they said. Or I'll change them. You know, pay attention. Keep your eyes open. Make wise decisions. There were things that were flags before I got married that I should have paid attention to, but I didn't. And, you know, I think that's the most important decision we make in this life, aside from Christ, is who we choose to spend our life with.
0: Right. It is. Since we're talking about marriage, before we move off of it again, is there one piece of advice you might give to somebody before they get married, wanting to get married, or thinking about getting married, or close to getting married, and also to someone who is married? Sure. If it's different.
1: So I'm going to preface this by saying I have a strong biblical worldview, and it's informed by scripture, not by culture. And that in current days, gets me in a lot of hot water because people are more informed by culture. And here in America, we want to be individualized. We want to be happy. We want to be important. And our worldview is centered around us and what we bring to the world and what our purpose is. And it's about us. Right. In scripture, it's about Him. And He's built marriage to mirror Him. So if I go back and look at our sins, I think my sin was the sin of Adam, avoidance, not manning up, running away, making excuses, pointing fingers. I'd say her sin, in my view, was the sin of Eve, right? Not submitting to godly authority or the you know the authorities that God places it over. So one of my mentors was Adrian Rogers. And for all of us, men and women, I mean, he always said one of the greatest quotes that I remember was, God won't allow you to be in authority of those things he's placed under you until you are in authority of those things he's placed over you. Love it. And that's for all of us. We're all under authority. I mean, even the president of the United States is under authority. Right. Jesus was under authority. You know, the authority of the fathers. But we rebel against that here in our country because individualism is the most important thing and i think that's one reason we're destroying ourselves and i think that's one reason there's so much mental illness because it causes isolation lack of responsibility and all that stuff so i think before you get married pay attention and if there are flag red flags pay attention to them ask questions be honest with yourself and say is this something as it magnifies over the years something that i can live with and if married i would say renew your vows and get back under the authority of scripture and have a home and, you know, hesitate to say this, but I mean, now I know a lot of times both mom and dad work, but I think the healthiest are the scriptural model where the husband's the provider and protector and the wife is the nurturer and the life bringer. And I know that that doesn't work every time, but that's sort of what I'd say is be a, a biblically based family.
0: Yeah. Great advice. Following God's word is always a win, especially when all parties in the family are able to do that. Let me ask you this. How about somebody who is in the middle of their challenge right now? It may not be a divorce for them. It could be 101 other things, or maybe it is a divorce, but they're in the middle of their battle, their heat, their challenge, their adversity. What advice would you give to them?
1: Really, a lot of that's individualized, but I think in general, persevere, look up. Stop looking down at the ground, shoulders back, eyes at the sky. Recognize that you are God's creation, that Jesus has a purpose for you, whatever it is, and step into that. The devil is trying to destroy us all, and he's very good at this. I tell my kids, you know, we think we have the devil figured out because we've been around for two or three decades. He's been around for millennia. Right. He's got us figured out. He has our number. I mean... We're not all that different, whether we're living today or 5,000 years ago, we're pretty similar. they were probably smarter than we were. You know, the second law of thermodynamics, things tend to go from order to disorder. So I'd say lean into Christ. Let the Holy Spirit rule your heart and rest in him. Don't try to get it out or do it in your own strength. Surround yourself with other like-minded folks who love you and be patient. It'll pass.
0: Great advice. That community piece is so important. You know, I don't know the details, but feeling alone, abandoned, people you thought were close friends kind of proved to not be in the midst of all that went on a few years ago. And I could only imagine, but that is, you said it right there, community. I mean, it is so critically important, regardless in good times and bad to have that community. And we're built for that and we need that. So I'm so glad that you mentioned that it's just several kind of 30 second type Questions kind of in rapid fire. I mean, you're obviously an entrepreneur and a successful one at that. Do you have any success quote you particularly like? Maybe one that you might be willing to share with all the entrepreneurs out there?
1: There There's so many good ones. I mean, from Zig Ziglar to Tony Robbins to Dan Sullivan to uh, all these guys. I mean, just fantastic. Ziad Abdel-Noor has become a friend. He's a a VC guy up in New York. And he says, the only thing that goes with the stream are dead fish. So swim against the current. I love it. And then, you know, stuff like, Pain is a gift, and fear is a gift, right? We can either let it paralyze us or it's rocket fuel and it energizes us. And then, you know, is life happening to you or for you? And though that might be meant in a secular framework, I think, you know, we can spiritualize it and say, you know, it's all happening for us to make us more and more like Christ.
0: Absolutely. I know earlier I asked a key to your success. You said perseverance but is there a particular habit that you feel has been instrumental in your success in general in life?
1: I don't know that there's a particular habit because I always try to refine things and whatever, but I think the thing that really has been key for me has been, like Colin Powell once said, I can't help but be an optimist. I'm a perpetual optimist. So even when the sky's gloomy and dark and it's raining, like with the lockdowns and COVID, I had a great time. I mean, I had so many friends like depressed and I can't stand this and I hate it. I had a great time. I had so many things to do, you know, writing and reading and books
0: to catch up on and nobody to bother me. So are you an introvert or extrovert, Dr. Hermana?
1: That's a great question. If you had asked me 20 years ago, no question, I would have said extrovert. I mean, I just love people. And I think as I've gotten older, I've drifted a little bit. So I'm probably an introverted extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. So I love people and I get energized, but I
0: need some alone time too. I can relate with that. I, I say I'm an introvert by birth and an extrovert by choice. Yeah. So I do enjoy people. I choose to be outgoing and friendly and all the things I aspire to be. But at my core, I just love some downtime, quiet time like you just described. I've got downtime. I'm alone. Wow. I've got plenty of books to read and things to work on and things to write and ideas to create. And I just love it. So I'm always just curious how someone would describe themselves with that regard. Since you mentioned that, what would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received that somebody's given you?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. Never, never, never give up. In fact, when I was a resident in Memphis, Tennessee, my chairman, our department was really getting punched hard. And I could tell it was weighing on him heavy. And I found that little rock with that inscribed on it from Winston Churchill. And I gave it to him as a gift. And he still, you know, he, when I left Memphis, he still had it on his desk. Never, never, never give up.
0: It's hard to get beat if you won't quit. Eventually, things are probably going to work out. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. What's one book you'd recommend for the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience?
1: You know, in Sunday school, the right answer is always Jesus, right? <laughs> things like this, you know, the right answer is always the Bible. But it is. I mean, when life's hard and you're feeling down or you're trying to find that energy to move forward, I always like to go back to Scripture and read the stories of all those who came before us who had hard lives. Harder than ours, but yet still persevered and still persisted and still were blessed through all that. Or we think of the people that we think God blessed the most. And we think of Solomon of all his riches and his wisdom. You know, those who are closest to Christ, they ended up boiled in oil, crucified upside down. Those were the chosen. <laughs> yeah, so um, i say the Bible. Aside from that, I mean, there's so many good books. I mean, I love Tony Robbins' book on money. I love Think and Grow Rich and Napoleon Hill. There's just all sorts of amazing books. I'm, I'm a voracious reader. In my library, I've probably got 4,000 volumes.
0: Love it. How many books would you say you average reading per year? It used to be a lot. I try to read you know, a book every couple of weeks.
1: During that dark period of my life, I think it went down to probably negative.
0: <laughs>
1: now I'm trying to get through, I'm trying to build back up and life has gotten so busy as I'm rebuilding, trying to write a book, actually I'm trying to write three books.
0: One's not enough. We'll go from zero to three.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I'm trying to get through one book that's not
0: mine every two weeks. That's a great goal. I love that. So three books. You, you couldn't just write, start with one, huh? I had to jump right into three. Well, one is, so that abortion tweet
1: that sort of propelled me. Yeah. I got a book deal for that, and I'm two or three years late on it. Thankfully, my agent is still hanging with me. She's great. Esther Fedorovich with the Fed Agency in Austin. So that's you know the book on abortion and life issues and euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. And then I've been fairly politically active. There's another about you know, foreign affairs and domestic policy in the United States that I feel really needs to be written. There are probably ten books in my head. But the other third one is I went to my seminary reunion last year thinking that they were going to shun me for being so vocal on social media and conservative. But I tell you, they came around me and encouraged me. And one of my Old Testament professors came up to me and said, Omar, I want to write your story. He said, let me come to Nashville for two weeks. Let's do a download, and I'm going to write your story. But then he ended up with some health issues, had to go in the hospital, wasn't able to. Terry Powell, Dr. Terry Powell. But now he's encouraging me to write my story. And I think that's the third book, is sort of a memoir, autobiography. Nowhere near dead yet, but I figure it's probably a good time to start writing on
0: that. I love it. As you may or may not know, I started writing on one book. I just decided to just take one at a time, (laughs) Dr. Omar. (laughs) About a year and a half ago, I lose track. It might be two years ago, but we're finally, we're about a month or two away from launching it. It's almost done. So super, super excited about same title as the podcast, Life's Hard, Succeed Anyway. Amazing. So really, really fired up about that. What would you say is your definition of success? I started recently asking, and the more and more I keep thinking about success, and I started off with episode one, talking a little bit about what success meant to me, because I see so many people's definition of success is so different than mine, but you know what? I started asking people this, and I've got a ton of different responses. Everybody, it seems, has a different answer. And so many of them I agree with. So I just love getting to hear others' perspectives of what is your definition of success. It's changed.
1: When I was 25, success was $10 million in the bank, happy marriage, beautiful wife, great kids. You know, the American view, right? The American dream. Yeah. What I found is that's all empty. And success now is all about relationships. It's all about healthy relationships with God, with myself, and with others. And that's success that's where we leave a legacy. I mean, a billionaire just died 13,000 feet under the sea, right? What's his legacy? Is it his billions? I don't know the guy. I don't know his relationships. Or is it the impact that he has? But the other thing is, none of us have as great of a legacy as we think, usually. We think, you know, we're all going to be important. Our grandkids won't remember us or our great grandkids. You and I know who Billy Graham is. I work in a hospital. If I ask somebody who's 30... Or even 35 years of age, I do this all the time. I'm like, unless they were raised in a Christian home, I'll say, Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? And I'm like, No, who's that? I'm like, You're 35, you don't know who Billy Graham is. I mean, seriously? Because to us, that's unbelievable. Right. I mean, everybody knew who Billy Graham was. But now, I mean, these people are, you know, I I don't want to call them kids because they're adults, but 35 years old, and they're like, I don't know who that is. Right. So what does that say for us? What's our legacy? What does success mean? I think it's relationships and what we leave behind in our immediate family and our immediate reach
0: i 100 percent agree with you and i think that's a great great definition of success i know a good friend of mine that was a state representative in georgia and a former u.s senate candidate he would talk about even as a state rep you know naming bridges after people and and different things like that and i was on a podcast actually just yesterday and i was asked what is my definition of a legacy or what is the legacy i'd like to leave or what does that look like and And we got to talk about a little bit of the same kind of conversation because for me, it all is tied into that same context of this conversation of what is success. And, And even hearing you talk about Billy Graham, thinking about even him, the name recognition absolutely loses with generations. But what we invest into people, back to your point, relationships, depending on how much impact we have in their life, that can last for generations even if the person doesn't know the person's name even if our great 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 grandchild doesn't know our first name potentially that impact still goes on based on the relationships and what we invested in to say our children and other people and so that i just love as our mutual friend chad johnson says i want to be relationship rich that's true wealth right that's true wealth When you think about the future, as we start to wind this down, what excites you right now? You've got a lot of irons in the fire, it sounds like, from our conversations earlier and a lot of exciting things happening. But what would you say is the most exciting to you when you think about the future? The
1: opportunities. And I see abundance and amazing things to come in several areas, not just personally, but just for many of us. And I know there's a lot of doom and gloom. There's a lot of fear and there's a lot of hostility and division and scary stuff going on in the world right now. But you know we know where we end up. Right. We know who wins. And ultimately, I think we all want the same thing. We want peace and safety. we want happiness. Some will have it, some won't. So I think what excites me is really the future. And I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know now, and I wish that I could take 20 years off my life now and be 37 instead of 57. But at the same time, 100 years ago, people they were dead by 57, most people, right? Now, I feel like I've still got at least another good 30 years of high intensity productivity. So, yeah, that excites me.
0: It is exciting. And, and I love that perspective of if we are taking care of our health, and I know you're, you're a big advocate of health and functional health and functional medicine and all that, natural health as well. There's no reason why we can't live a healthy, vital life well into our 80s, 90s maybe beyond we'll see. So that's exciting, especially when you are waking up every day with, you know, on mission and you're doing something you're excited about. And that excites me to know that, Hey, it doesn't have to end in 20 more years. I might have 50 more years. I don't know. I love that. You've already said something about Facebook and Twitter. What is the best way for our listeners to contact you or follow along on your journey, social media links, a website, whatever you might want to share?
1: So I'm going to have a website up. It's been down for a couple of years, but I'm going to get it back up soon. And it's just omarhamada.com. My Twitter handle is at omarhamada. So you can contact me on Twitter. And then Facebook, same thing. It's facebook.com backslash omarhamada. And it's just H-A-M-A-D-A. And then LinkedIn, linkedin linkedin.com backslash n backslash omarhamada so pretty easy
0: super easy and we'll put all that in the show notes down below so our listeners can access it there and before I close this out give you the, the final word I do have one more question for you you mentioned politics being pretty active in politics and I think I remember hearing or seeing that you were considering running for a political office maybe a U.S. Senate seat or a state Senate seat I'm not sure is that right
1: it's been a long time. In, in Lebanon, I have a lot of family that have been in politics and a couple have been assassinated. I mean, they were very pro-Western, still are. But yeah, I've always been interested in military. So I have six M's, right? I had six M's and they were all alliterated. Adrian Rogers helped me do this. Marriage, which is not there anymore. Military, ministry, medicine, music, MBA, business, leadership. But yeah, sort of the military has shifted over into politics a little bit. And I hate politics. I never want to be a politician, but I have a lot of passion for doing what's right and getting us back to the foundations of how we were founded and where we need to be. So yeah, I think I would end up running for a statewide seat or possibly a congressional seat at some point.
0: Gotcha. Well, I could see you making a great one from everything I know about you. And I appreciate your heart to want to serve and give in that way, if that's what God ends up calling you to do in the future. I've loved this interview. I love getting to even go a little deeper into a couple areas of your life there and hear more about your story. But I'm going to give you the last word. Any closing comment you might want to share with our listeners, Dr. Omar?
1: Don't give up and keep putting one foot in front of the other life is beautiful it really is it's also hard and it's discouraging it takes the wind out of our sails and some days we don't know how we're going to get out of bed and i've been there and i know the feeling but at the same time when the tiles lift and you lift your head up put your shoulders back understand that you're empowered by the holy spirit i love what john eldridge has said we were born into a world at war so i don't know why we expect peace and safety We were dropped into a world at war. Adam and Eve were put into a garden, and the serpent was already there, and the war was already raging. And it's not about us. It's about him, and we're honored to be part of this spiritual warfare that he's leading, Jesus is leading. So as a warrior, as a fellow combatant, we're here to hold each other's arms up and keep each other's hearts full and understand exactly why the world is the way it is.
0: I love it. And it's great to know we're on the winning side of the battlefield, isn't it? Yes. It is. Hey, Dr. Omar, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a great interview, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to share with all of our listeners.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity, Alan.
0: If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled dot ncom You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.